the Elite Life Podcast. With your host, Trisha and Kylie. Here, we guide you on a journey of personal and professional transformation. Revealing the secrets to success. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, join us as we unlock the doors to the elite world of growth, grit, and grace. So, let's dive in. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Elite Life Podcast. I'm your host, Trisha, and I'm joined by the amazing Kylie. That's me. Insert applause here. I'm amazing. And we have a special expert guest for you today. Greg Goddard, lending expert with Cross Country Mortgage, is here with us. But I'm super pumped. I love Greg. Hi, Greg. You are one of my favorites to have on the show, and it's been a minute. It has. So we were missing you. Fun fact that I don't even think you know about and you don't know about. So, Uh well, you guys may remember that Greg was our very first uh, person we interviewed on the show. And today, this, we are recording our 100th episode. Oh, my God. You're special. That's amazing. Yes. I was, like, thinking, I feel like it was pretty early on, and I was like, maybe I'll be the first second guest. (laughs) You were the very first guest, and you are our... Yeah, you're the first person we brought on for a second yes, time. Yes, for sure. You are setting all sorts of records on the Indie Life podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, bud. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Are you going to insert your witty banter here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything. <laughs> it's like I'm empty. Kylie I'm, I'm, took it off. Yeah, I think the pre the pre-recording <laughs> banter was witty enough. Oh, my goodness. We do that all the time, though. We'll, like, start talking, and then we're like, oh, all of this should have went in the 100%. show. <laughs> no, we have Dave nothing was rolling. Left. No, Dave surprises us sometimes at the beginning or at the end, and I'm like, he caught that. <laughs> it's yes. on file. Well, it was perfect timing um, because, you know, I'm usually a person who stays away from the news. I like to live in my little Trisha bubble. I do not. I'm the opposite. I want to know everything that's going on. I stress out about all the things I can't control. Well, that's why I don't do that. So, But usually for some reason on Mondays, it must be like that, like I'm going to start my week off, right? So I start listening to podcasts on Monday and Housing Wire is one of my um, favorite podcasts to actually get any sort of news from. Um, And they were saying on their last Monday that um, this was the highest interest rates were since the year 2000, which resonated with me because I graduated in 2000. So I was like, dang. And I instantly text Greg. I was like, you have to be on our show. We have to talk about this because um, number one, I'm officially really old. <laughs> and number two, <laughs> interest rates are making history again. So um, yeah, it all worked out. Thanks for, for coming. First second timer and 100th episode and get to talk about record-breaking news, which isn't great for us, but we're going to figure out some greatness out of it. For sure. I love, and Housing Wire is my favorite, so I have probably four or five different people and services that we follow to keep us in the know, like what's going on, what what's trending. Mm-hmm. I, I find that Logan from Housing Wire, who is an economist, um, his love for data is yeah. like beyond my ability. I'm not an economist. So it's hard. You, I, Instantly when they start talking about all of the stuff, I go back to, oh gosh, I think I had a class in college that was econ that I probably didn't pay as well of a time. I, I probably could have paid better attention or maybe went to a few more of those classes. Yeah. Um, so you have like enough to have a general idea of what they're talking about, but you're not sure why it matters. Or So having someone kind of give it to you at a fourth grade level and talk to you like I understand and most people understand um, it's nice. And that's who I'm talking to is the people who have a lot of that, you know, it's a very lower idea or lower um, level of understanding um, of the economy and how this all, why does that matter to me? Right. So then having the ability to bridge that gap and explain like, this is why GDP, this is why employment, this is why all of these things matter to you. Yeah, and that's really what I wanted to like start with here because um, you, you and Housing Wire were the first sources I had to actually understand things like what is the jobs report or like what is inflation even? Like how does it work? Like I okay, you hear everybody saying, oh, inflation, inflation, inflation. But I bet you, like, if you lined up 20 people, 
19, maybe even 20 of them don't actually know how inflation works or how it affects you other than that interest rates are high right now. Yeah. And the fact that it's six dollars for, you know, a dozen eggs Mm -hmm. like that's really where most people are understanding it is, you know, all of the things that I used to buy are now super expensive and I don't have a raise and what is happening. Yeah. And to be fair, it's it's just in my eyes, it's it's a lagging thing, right? We we are in the here and now and we kind of have a feel of what's going on because when you go to the grocery store, you can feel. You can feel that. You can my wallet feel feels that. it. Let me tell you that right now. Yeah. And sometimes the statistics are catching up. You know, the reports are are measuring things from the past. And sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's six months ago, sometimes it's the previous 12 months. So it, it takes time for the data to kind of catch up to the here and now. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we can feel it. I think right now where we're at and why interest rates are so high is for so long, it was the, the Fed had lowered the rates to kind of stimulate. We were in a, a time where nobody knew what was going to happen. Am I going to have a job? Is, is, the, is the world going to open back up? People aren't spending money because no one's leaving their house. Mm-hmm. So they kind of made it easier to spend money, but they did it for too long. Mm-hmm. So people then got comfortable spending money and we saw cars go way up. We saw housing go way up. We saw people kind of getting back into the world and they were spending money because they had money because they had saved up. Everybody was very cash rich because they didn't spend money for so long. Right. They went back into the world and they were happy spending money and everything was cheaper and rates were lower and you kind of got incentives for spending money while they kept, I think they artificially lowered the rates for too long uh, and they're playing catch up. So. Now, I mean, and the podcast from Housing Wire, Logan talked about, I probably listened to the same one, mm-hmm. um, but he talked about how we haven't caught up in how the Fed is a, is a group of people that kind of get together. There's actually a Fed meeting um, coming up this week. They do it, you know, throughout the year. They meet for two days and then they talk about what they talk about in those meetings to the, the population to say, hey, we... We looked at all the data. We looked at inf- all the inflationary data that we look at. So where are people spending money? Where are these companies spending money? Um, are they spending more than they have to? Are they spending less than they have to? And what does that look like? How's employment? Do people have jobs? Um, are people losing jobs? Um, so they'll, they'll look at all that and then they'll figure out, you know, how, how are we doing? So they came about and they said, oh my gosh, inflation's skyrocketing. So for the last 18 months, they keep raising the federal interest rate to stop people from just going out and feeling like there's an incentive to spend money. We don't know when they're going to stop. I think they're going to stop now. I think they finally hit a point where now interest rates are higher than the growth, um, the the inflationary growth that we're seeing. So when we'll get to the point where they don't need those high interest rates because inflationary numbers are lower. So part of me is is saying this as they're going to I think that they don't want to have egg on their face by saying, oh, we're done. We've we've done what we needed to do. We're going to stop. And then inflation goes back up. So they're almost like, no, we'll keep the interest rates higher longer than maybe we need to to make sure that this number goes down. Because, again, it's a group of people and they don't want to be the one that made the mistake in history. Yeah. So one thing that you explained to me um, really well when you were breaking it down was that uh, what they are looking for is the unemployment rate to go up. So interest rates will continue to rise until more people lose their jobs. That is actually like the end all be all goal is that's what the jobs report is, is it is a report on how many people are unemployed. And until more people are unemployed, Employed, the government will continue raising interest rates, which like blew my mind. I was like, are you serious? They want people to lose their jobs. And they were like, yes, that that is actually what inflation is. They're trying to drive more people to not have jobs. So less people are spending money, like Greg said. So they have to continue to raise those interest rates. So things are unaffordable. So they won't buy stuff. OK, well, they win. Okay. Yeah. They win. (laughs) It's it's not, I don't think it's not that they want that to happen. I think it's just a measure of, is it happening so that they can kind of dictate the course at which they need to react. So right now they're, this is the hard part is, is we, so we, we watch the jobs report. It's the first Friday of every month. So 
we measure, we get this, we get this data at 8.30, the first Friday of every month. So this Friday, it's the first Friday of the month. Ooh, so now I'm we'll, sitting on pins and needles. 8.30 Monday, or Friday morning, we're going to get a jobs report. They're anticipating that we'll have 180,000 new claims. So new, new claims from last jobs report of people that filed a, you know, unemployment claim. Okay. They're saying that basically a measure to show that the, the world is slowing down is a little over 300,000 claims. The problem we're having right now is people aren't losing. We're, I'm not having a ton of conversation with people who just lost their job, which is good in my eyes, right? That's, that's fantastic. What I am having, what I, what I'm, I guess my problem with that stat is people aren't making enough money to be a part of, you know, going grocery shopping or getting ready for Christmas shopping. They're, they're struggling. Mm -hmm. Credit card debt's through the roof. So while people aren't losing their jobs, has the job grown to support that person? Are, are these jobs, are people not losing their jobs, but maybe their hours are being cut or maybe mm -hmm. they didn't get that raise that they needed to get this year, or maybe they got a cut on their way on their wage. They don't, they didn't have a, they don't, they still have a job, but it might not be supporting what they could truly use. So my problem with the, the fact of measuring unemployment new claims is, yeah, maybe people aren't losing their job. And maybe this has always been the case. And it's just something that I'm paying more attention to, more people are paying more attention to. But what I'm telling you is, is when we get those numbers, sometimes we feel that the number's not, it's, it's kind of not a good indicator of what's truly happening. That's yeah. interesting. And I think that like, that's, that's something that I'm kind of surprised that nobody has been like, okay, the world is ever evolving. The market is ever evolving. The industry is ever evolving, right? And we have been at this new space and time where we're three years of no inventory of housing. This has never happened before. So maybe we should start measuring things differently yeah. since we're in a world that's different than we've ever had before, yeah. right? Like common sense isn't so common. And I think that's what gets very frustrating is like you're saying, hey, we all have jobs, but we're all still struggling because you made everything so expensive. So like you have to sit there like a great example is uh, Trent's truck needs to get fixed. Now I would much rather just go get him a new truck than sit here and fix a literal laundry list of things on his truck. But I won't do that because interest rates are so high. So it's like one of those things where like, can I afford to do this? Yeah, I can. Do I want to? No, I don't want to. I would rather do this, but I can't because you're forcing me to do this other thing, right? Yeah, and I mean, we were in the space that we saw people spending thousands, tens of thousands of dollars more for an asset, a house, over the last few years and not thinking twice about it. Yeah. They, they could. They had the ability to do it because, again, they had all that acquired cash equity um, that they had in maybe a prior house, but they just did it. And now people, we're, we're, we're starting to feel that shift of, can, can we do that? Should yeah. we do that? So it's, again, part of it is that we don't necessarily want people just out there spending the money with no purpose. Um, because then again, we, we see that inflation. That's, that's why inflation was so high is because you can, you could. Yeah. People could go out and spend extra $10,000 for a car because they needed it and they wanted it. And it wasn't necessarily something that was a good purchase or a good investment, but people people were doing it and it drove up, you know, that the the inflationary numbers. Hmm. So do you think that um, when the Fed meets next, do you believe that they will stop raising interest rates? Are things trending towards that? Is that what everybody's thinking? Yeah. So they actually meet, uh, they'll meet tomorrow and Wednesday and on Wednesday afternoon, two, two o'clock, they'll tell us what they decided. Mm -hmm. um, so the whole group of the Fed will come together on, on Wednesday and they'll have a, a determination, are we going to raise the Fed rate or not? Mm -hmm. um, right now, I think that most people are assuming that nothing's, they're, they're just going to pause um, and, and not raise the rate and that we could just see continued, hey, this is working. The numbers are trending in the right direction. We don't, we don't need to put more gas on the fire to make this harder so people stop spending money. We can kind of just let it see and again, it's a, it's a lagging, all of the data is lagging. So we kind of just have to, just, nobody likes to just sit and wait and watch. Right. right? And if, if things are trending in a bad direction, sometimes you have to take action, but sometimes you just have to understand that there's enough people under stress right now and that they're, you know, the, they, they've, they're not doing what they were doing two years ago. Mm -hmm. I think that everybody can think of people in their life and how, how we acted 
two years ago versus how we may act today. Yeah. Um, I have conversations with people, you know, that are having the, the tough conversations. We need to get rid of this and we need to get rid of that. We can't go on vacation. Th- those types of things were two years ago. It was talking about all the fun things that we did. And yeah. I, I kind of look at it as, as like we, we had two years of being kept in, in our house. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to go do anything. So it was okay for a little bit of time, maybe. Yeah. Um, but again, at the end of the day, like it got out of hand, maybe. <laughs> got so a little wild. We all have to go back to hashtag adulting and work <laughs> our jobs and not spend money and budget and do the thing. I mean, <laughs> circling back, like you're super right. Um, I agree with you as far as like the numbers now that you've broken it down, because I'm definitely one of those people who our listeners could probably identify with as far as like my my very little understanding of the economy and like how everything works and how everything rolls together. And I was talking to a friend from church and, you know, you're right, like with the jobs report and things like that, I think we should find other ways to to measure it because she's like, yeah, you know, my husband's a garage door installer. Well, nobody's getting a new garage door right now unless it's super broken, but then it's not an installation, it's a tech. So it's a different job. So he went from having, you know, five, six days worth of work of people. I'm getting this new garage door. I'm updating it so I could sell my house, you know, yada, yada. Now he's down to three days a week, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's super tough. You're you're 100%. I mean, it's there's less business going around for most people because there's less people spending money. Yeah. And so even from the, the space, again, from a qualifying standpoint, every time. I just heard the stat, but every time the interest rate on our 30-year mortgage rate goes up 1%, approximately 5 million less people qualify to buy that house. So, you know, as rates go up, there's less people that you're competing against, but that means that the people that are selling stuff have less buyers. Um, So that's where, when we look at this, the inventory should continue to increase. We're, we don't have any inventory still. So yeah. while there's not as many people shopping, there's less people shopping, there's still not any inventory. There's still not any houses to buy. So that's that's going to be the case in, in not just real estate, but you talk about cars, yeah. you talk about, um, you know, even just brick and mortar shopping, people are spending less money. So the fact of the matter is, is the, the people producing stuff don't need to produce as much, but the cost to, to produce was high. Yeah. So producing less kind of brings that cost down. And that's why these inflationary numbers come down. We measure inflation from the consumer standpoint, but we also measure it from the producer standpoint. So it costs, it, for a while, it costed people more money to make stuff. And they passed that cost on to us and we didn't care. We were like, we'll buy it anyways. So at some point, both the consumer inflation and the producer inflation were up. Yeah. And now they're both trending down for obvious reasons. So again, it's, I think the Fed may have gone up too fast, mm-hmm. too quick. And, and honestly, it became a squeeze to, oh my gosh, like this, this got out of hand quickly. We went from like great to bad. And I think that they, again, were in a position where they let it go for too long. So they were like, we're going to do it. We're just, we're going to do it. And they're, they're older. The Fed is a group of like older people that have memories of, you know, other events, other, other, you know, other um, generations, generations of, of uh, different things, right? So they're, they're looking at it and they're very much waiting for the unemployment um, to go up. Yeah. So they're, they've probably looked at it and every month this year, um, we've had the, the number come in less than what we thought it was. We're, we're like, okay, here it is. Here's the report. It's going to come in higher and then nope, it comes in lower and we're like, oh gosh. Um, and then rates go up. So people react to that data because they're like, well, unemployment was lower than what we anticipated. So that's going to be bad for inflation. It's going to be bad for what the Fed's going to do. So rates are going to go up and rates go up pretty much on a, on a dime, you know, when we get that data in. So we need everybody to go file unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm wondering now that we're talking about it, um, people are taking you know, second and third jobs right now, you know, the more people I talk to as I go through my database and, you know, mm-hmm. doing follow-ups and connecting with people, you know, I'm working with a lot of renters right now, which is awesome. And they're like, okay, well, my, you know, my work hours just got cut. So my paycheck every week is only $500, but I make $350 every week doing DoorDash or Grubhub Good or work, yeah. Uber, stuff like that. So I think that instead of 
filing unemployment because people, like you said, maybe aren't getting fired. Their their hours are just getting cut. You know, they're picking up side hustles to make it work. Yeah. And that's another thing to be said, like with the Fed being older, like they're sitting there looking at it from, you know, well, we had 12 and 14 and 16 percent interest rates. So what's an eight? They should still be happy with an eight. But they also, like you're saying, they didn't have gig work. They didn't have side hustles. Sure. They couldn't be on Fiverr making videos or producing right. podcasts, right? So it's just a completely different world. So you have to wonder, like, when do we actually start having those conversations of, well, we live in a different world, so maybe we should do some different Fed things. A couple, couple <laughs> things, too, on top of that, not to add sadness. I feel like I'm just, like, raining on parade. But, <laughs> Great like, job on your second interview, Greg. <laughs> credit card debt's as high as it's ever been. So we're now in trillions of dollars worth of credit card debt. And student loans haven't been, had to been paid. Like people that have student loans had to make no payment on it until this month. Yeah. So now we're at, again, we're adding monthly expenditure back <clears throat> into the equation. Luckily, it's slower. It wasn't like, hey, figure it out. Because um, we don't, I, you know, the last thing we need is people feeling the stress of I can't pay my bills and what am I going to do? Um, people filing bankruptcy, people having to sell houses. It's it's one of those things that we'll probably see uptick um, because again, it's if you're if you're not able to pay the credit card, you're paying that minimum balance. That balance keeps growing, which changes your minimum payment, and now it it just keeps squeezing. So it's I think if you're accustomed to making the money. Finding a second job, great. I, I would rather someone go figure out how to make what they were making instead of just saying like, well, I'm on un unemployment and I, I'm not going to do anything about it. You yeah. know, I'll just wait to for jobs to be created. That's that's good. But if they're still making less, the monthly expenditures are up right now, and that's why people are feeling it. That's why that six dollar, you know, dozen eggs is is it's hard. You know, and yeah. I think that people are feeling that and. I don't see it change. I don't see that changing. I think some people are like, well, this is just temporary while we fix the problem. This is like our new normal. Yeah. Well, and I, I wonder, I was going to say, I wonder how many, I was thinking about this while you were talking. Um, I wonder how many small businesses we will eventually see close to because another factor that I feel like I've never heard anybody talk about is all of the businesses who took COVID loans, you now have to be paying those COVID loans. So if you got 250 grand from the SBA during COVID, which a lot of businesses got tons of money, like half million, million, multi-millions, you know, if you only took 250, you're paying, a, you know, $1,300 monthly payment, but also all of your other payments have gone up. So as a small business owner myself, I know like our transaction software, the cost has gone up. Our CRM, the cost has gone up. We were talking about dialers, the cost has gone up. Now I have to pay the loan I got during COVID that was, you know, interest-free for all of these years, but now it has to be paid. So it's not just us as individuals that are going to feel this. Small businesses are going to feel it. They're going to have to close. Then those unemployment rates are going to go 100%. up. Like this is definitely now that I'm like talking about it and thinking about it, like a trickle down that will probably take a while to see it all 100%. unfold. And, and that's where, again, it's that lagging of waiting we want it now. Just get everybody unemployed. We'll figure it out. We'll, like the unemployment rate will go relief, down. Just give us some relief, please. But it's not. It's just something. Like, <laughs> you look back and you look at how, you know, other recessions came about. It wasn't this happened one month and then the recession happened the next month and then six months later everybody was fine again. It, it's years, you know, of of things happening and right now we're not in a recession. You know, technically, we're not in a recession. So it's it's one of those things where the Fed could avoid a recession from the standpoint they could allow everything to kind of slowly but surely, Even they call it a soft bit. landing, more or less we get to where we need to be, but it's going to take longer rather than it's awful, you know, like jam it down. We just, yeah, everybody gets laid off tomorrow and for the next six months, you can't do anything. You know, everything's expensive and nobody can afford anything. And it, it's terrible. You know, there, a recession is not a it's not a great thing um, when you're looking at it from the outside in. And it's it's stress. It's it's people feeling it. So it's it's one of those things where if they can do this and it's more or less we can adjust wage growth up and we can kind of slowly but surely bring the cost of things down and our new normal maybe gets a little bit better. We kind of win, but we're going to have to endure it. Um, it's it's going to be more like running a marathon um, mm -hmm. than just sprinting through it and, and feeling like it stinks. You know, yeah. that's that's the hard part. Mm. Well, 
now that we're done with that. Yeah, we have some bright sides to talk about. So Greg is actually going to tell us some ways that you can still get a lower interest rate, still get some incentives to be able to purchase a home. And so maybe some of you that are listening um, that are realtors and have clients that are on the sidelines, or maybe you're on the sidelines because you're listening to this like, "Um, yeah, definitely not buying a house, pass on that. We're going to tell you about some ways that you can buy a house, that you can still get a good interest rate, and that you can get some helpful um, down payment assistance money and things like that. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Did you know that over 80% of real estate agents call it quits within their first year in the business? It's a staggering statistic, but at mystarsacademy.com, we're here to change that narrative. Our expert-based training and coaching program caters to both agents and brokers. The Agent Accelerator Program is your key to leveling up your real estate business. Learn how to generate a constant flow of free leads, convert those leads into loyal clients, and keep them coming back for more as repeat business. Our industry experts bring years of proven success to the table and provide one-on-one coaching to help you achieve structure and work-life balance. We'll map out a plan for you to follow, guiding you through the steps to scale and grow both in your business and personal life. Don't become another statistic. Visit mystarsacademy.com and enroll today to pave the way for your future success. And we are back, friends. We are chatting with our bestest of friends, Greg Goddard, lending expert with Cross Country Mortgage. And he was giving us some great knowledge on how inflation works, what it is, how do we get it to calm down. And now he's going to bring us up with some great tips and lessons on how you can still buy a home, how you can still get out there. And yeah, no, right now is a great time to capitalize on obviously, because there are less buyers out there. So, you know, everybody, I see Barbara Cochran um, from the Sharks, whatever that show is, Shark Tank, and she's always like, get out and buy now, because if you wait until everybody else goes, uh, you know, then we're going to be back. I always say, like, there's always something, right? I already said that during the show. There's always something. So, you know, last summer, we're talking about how everybody's paying 50 grand over asking. Everybody's paying 50. I'm not buying right now because everybody's paying 50 grand over. Well, guess what? Now you're not buying because interest rates and then you're going to be not buying because it's 50 grand over again like pick your poison right so go greg even through i mean the silver that that is truly the silver lining right now and if you look at housing appreciation and statistics over the last 60 70 years they look like this they go up yeah there's dips right maybe a couple years a year if most through like big events that bring it back the there's nothing on our radar that's like, hey, the market's going to pull back, but it never's on our radar, right? If we had right. a crystal ball that we knew that that was coming, we wouldn't be here right now. We'd be on a beach somewhere. Um, what Heck, else? If we can work that out, that would be awesome. <laughs> I, well, one of our vendors uh, emailed me a little while back and she's like, yeah, can you let me know how many closings you expect next year? I'm like, sure, that would be great. Then I can definitely plan my bills accordingly. But right. yeah, we work in that. real estate and we don't know what's going to happen we tomorrow. Don't. All we know is, and, and I'm... I feel super strongly about this is that you're, it, it's an appreciating asset. It's going to go up in value over time. Yeah. It might not be, you know, I can't tell you the percentage that it's going to increase every year, but I can tell you if you're going to live in it for the next five to 10 years, it's going to be worth more than you bought it for today. Yeah. Super. Yeah. I, I feel super strongly about that. Um, we looked at people spending, I had a, I had a client that spent a hundred thousand dollars over appraised value on a house and the house, this was in 2020. The house is probably close to being worth what he paid over value for at that time. Now it's, he's probably, you know, the investment's worth what he paid for it. You know, and that's where it's, people at that time were like, this guy's crazy. He just lost all of that money. And he got to live in that house for a few years now, as of today. And he probably is in the neighborhood he wanted to be. His kids are going to the school he wanted to be. And it's just one of those things where I look at it like, Hey, if you if you buy today while the rates are higher, you're competing against less people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we are, if I'm telling you that inflation's coming down, that the Fed's probably talking about lowering the Fed interest rate. They're they're talking probably four cuts next year. I think that's to be seen. But if they're going to lower this thing four times next year, and we saw rates go up with that rate, 
well, our, our long-term mortgage rates are probably going to come down with that rate. And I already said, every time that we change this rate about a percent, about 5 million people either come don't or qualify or do qualify. So when rates go down a percent, that just means more people coming to the market. It means more competition. The inventory is not going to skyrocket. So we're going to go back into, I, I, Fully expect that, you know, 2024, end of 2024, into 2025, we're back into bidding wars. We're back into paying over appraised value. Um, and the people that buy now, they're, they're calling to refinance. They're going to, we we sound like, I, I always say we sound like the used car salesman. It's like, don't uh, um, marry the house, date the rate. And it just sounds like we're just trying to make the sale. We're just trying to get these people to do something that we, it's in our best interest because we make money off of, doing mortgages and selling houses. Yeah. Um, it's not. <laughs> it's it's literally economics. It's supply and demand. It's it's telling you that if we expect that housing is going to go up and we have a track record, we can look at a chart and see that houses appreciate. Even through the, the housing collapse, uh, when people had to foreclose on their house because their payment tripled and they had to give up the house and the bottom fell out. Housing went down, you know, 50%. Everybody's recovered. You know, the housing has gone back up to where it was. And if that, that was a, that's a whole other podcast um, regarding the, the payment inflation and, you know, predatory lending, but we're not doing that. We have the highest standards. We're, I, I can assure you that people do not <laughs> like the mortgage process. In terms of the documents that we require, I, I'm not giving people, hey, let me run your credit. It's, it's not like Macy's and they're plugging a few things in. And I'm like, you can do a $250,000 house. We didn't qualify anything. I mean, we need a pay stub that's, super recent. We need to make sure that you're still making money. We're still making sure that you have your job when you close. Um, there's very, a very high standard um, to which we are required to make sure that people buying houses today can qualify to make that payment. So that that all doesn't happen again. Because that's what I'm hearing is like, oh, I'm waiting for the housing market to fall out. I'm waiting for everything to fall out and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's not going to happen again. Greg it, said so. Yeah, it mathematically <laughs> can't happen because nobody's lending 115% of Even your value of your home. You got it. Even the people that paid over what the house was worth had to come out of pocket. They had to have that cash in order to qualify to buy that house and qualify at the price that they agreed to pay. Yeah, and I think like um, my scenario, so Greg does my personal mortgages and I feel like my scenario is such a testament to exactly what you're saying. Like I bought my last house on Luke Lane. You refinanced me, I think it was like, I don't know, 13 months into my loan. I saved $1,500 and then I got cash too from like the refinance process. I don't know because like my rate went down and all of that good stuff. So I saved all that money monthly. I lived in the house for three years. That was it? That's it. I lived in it for three years. All I did was paint and carpet when I moved in. I lived in it for three years. I sold it. I got $100,000 from living in the house for three years, upgraded and bought double the house and bought down my interest rate, which is the next thing that you're going to talk yep. about. So it's like interest rates were already going up when I bought this house, but I had all of that equity from my other house. So I put it down on this house. So my payment in this house, which is like double the value of my last house, and my payment is the exact same as it was in my other house. So I have double the house for exactly the same monthly payment that was after I refinanced and got the lower rate in the other house. So I did that by buying down the interest rate and by waiving escrows. So maybe talk a little bit about those things next because those were tools that I, like we're not just selling it, we're also a client. Yeah. Like these are actual tools we are living, that- We are living proof. Yeah, yeah, like you you proof buy the, the house. Pudding. It gives you, it's literally money in the bank. Like all I was living there, Greg would send out this little home bot thing and I'd be like oh my value went up oh my value went up again oh it went up again and, it went, and then at one point I'm sitting here like walking around with Dave like we could just sell this house and like buy whatever we want because we have all this money from this house and when I bought it it wasn't to do that that's just what happened from being a homeowner like yeah my girls were upset when you sold that because they thought that we were going to you know, live in your mansion when you were done. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm right down the street. Oh, I love it. All right, Greg, lay it on us. Yeah, I mean, and we're so used to the the, the like previous three years um, where we were in a market where rates were super low and the competition was super high. And you basically had to audition to get mm -hmm. a house. Like you had to, I said, I my joke, my running joke was if the seller was like, hey, 
there's 10 offers and whoever sends me the best TikTok dance video is going to get it. And you could be like, I'm not doing that. You don't get the house, but the person that makes the TikTok video is going to get it. Yep. So we're, we're kind of shifting now that there's less people shopping that the sellers are in position where maybe they don't hold all the power, which is good if you're a buyer. And you're still, we're, we're not saying that if you're the seller, now all of a sudden it's shifting away and you're, it, if you own a house, it's bad because like Trish just said, <laughs> the appreciation is what you get, yeah. you know? So when you go to sell, if you're getting what your house is worth, that's fair. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's fair for both sides instead of being so one-sided that it's not fair to one side, the buyer, yeah. um, that now we're doing things like a, a buy down. So the seller is almost artificially and it's not artificial because it's however long we do this for, they're going to pay the difference on that interest rate for the first one, two or three years to make it affordable until we can refinance, until the rates come down. So it's it's making it affordable as if rates were at. So if today we're at seven and a half and we can do a, a three, two, one buy down, that first year we're going to be a 3% reduction on the seven and a half. So for the first year, you get the four and a half percent interest rate. Second year, you get a five and a half percent interest rate. The third year, you get a six and a half percent interest rate. So it's it's just one of those things that now will have the reduction on the payment. I feel confident to tell people, and I can't guarantee anything because I don't have crystal ball, but I feel confident to say that if you did a three, two, one, or a two, one buy down, it puts you in a position that when rates do come down, then you capture with a refinance. Uh, all, all, all it is, it, you know, this is the secret. It's just an escrow account. It's just money set on the sideline to pay that difference between the eight, the, the seven and a half and the four and a half percent interest rate. So if it's a few hundred bucks, three or four or five hundred dollars a month, money just comes out of the escrow account. But it doesn't come out of your pocket. Makes it affordable. It's it's money that can be utilized to make an affordable payment until we can capture it with the refinance um, when it comes. And that escrow accounts the money. The buyer gets that money. They're entitled to that money um, to reduce the the price of the home when they go to do their refinance. So something that we're doing, I've, I've, I'm doing it more right now because in our market, the inventory is still not vast, but you know, the fact that it's sitting there for a little bit longer, people are more apt to help um, make a sale happen. And I think that it's, it's good for someone who is on the fence that doesn't want that payment shock that has that 3% interest rate right now. What about a four and a half percent interest rate? If you're going from three to four and a half percent, it's not as big of a jump. It's not going to feel as bad. Like Trish said earlier, maybe your payment's going to be super duper similar to what you're paying now. Once you have the equity out of your current house paid down on the new mortgage, um, it, it, it's really not. And I'm having conversations with people left and right that bought in 2016 to 2020, somewhere in that four year window. And I run their payment and they're just, they're so used to just listening to the news or hearing that rates are super high. And then I run their payment and they're like, Oh, that's, that's not terrible. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, because they've accrued so much equity in that time too, mm -hmm. that they get to apply to the, the, they're not taking out the loan for the purchase price. They're taking out the loan with all of the equity put into that house. I'm having conversations with people that are like, oh, my, my payment's actually going to go down. Um, so it's just one of those things where having, having the idea or, or, or just totally staying away from this because they, they listen to the news or they hear other people talking about how high interest rates are doesn't necessarily make it a bad investment. Let's just kind of get this buttoned up real neat for our listeners, Greg. What are five things that buyers can utilize today to help them to buy a house in the times where interest rates are running on the higher side? Yeah, perfect. So honestly, the the first thing right now is you're not having to spend, I look at this as a positive and, and maybe one of the things is you're not having to you're probably not having to put down an appraisal guarantee, which is money that a lot of people Huge. don't have right now. Um, they are able to utilize concession um, a lot of times to do something like a, a buy down for their rate, a temporary buy down, maybe just money off the closing costs. Um, that's positive. The incentives are great. So first time home buyers, um, we have anywhere from $1,500 all the way up to $15,000 in grant money that they wow. can use um, towards money that they might not have. Uh, maybe that's why they haven't explored buying a house. So are you going to qualify for all of them? No. You know, there's there's a, a process that we'll go through and we'll have a conversation, higher level conversation about the income, the assets, and the, the credit that you need to qualify for these programs. Maybe it's getting into one of those programs. Maybe it's doing the things that you need to do to get into that program. Um, starting now is just one day closer. So having the, those action items identified is worth a conversation in my eyes. Um, 
we're doing a, I call it a three year, three refi program. So anybody that's buying a house right now, three years from closing date, we're gonna waive our bank fees um, so that they can do a refinance over time and capture the lower rates as they come in. Is there cost associated still? Yes, that you know, you're, you're still probably gonna be less than maybe a payment, if a payment. Um, that you get to skip when you do a refinance. So you get to capture those lower payments as they come in, but you also get to capture the appreciation over that period of time. Um, and then the fifth thing would probably be, I don't even know, I don't have a, I don't think I have a fifth thing. <laughs> well, I would say, like you said, you, you're not having to use those appraisal guarantees and you're not getting your heart broken as many times because you're not having to. Yeah, you get to buy the house that you find and like. Yeah. Um, I think that was the hardest part for the last couple of years was hearing the excitement in someone's voice as we ran numbers and did what we we felt was like, okay, this is exciting. They 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 looked for a house for a couple months. They spent 30 to 60 days looking for a house. They finally find the one that they love and then they get told they can't buy it. Yeah, so, I'm getting a lot of first offers. We submit Ryan and Stephanie. We just closed the yeah. other day together. They were first offer. We wrote, boom, nice. got it. You know, um, Dana, she's going to be closing uh, tomorrow. And yeah. Adrian, and she was another one where like yeah. her, her husband's parents were like, what do you mean you already bought a house and sold one? Like, you're just telling us this today. And she's like, yeah, we talked to Trisha like three days ago. And nice. was, yeah, we get the right now we get the we're not really looking yet, but we're just wanting to see what it looks like. And then two weeks later, they're under contract on a house because yeah. the line isn't as long, yeah. you know? And it's not to say that people aren't shopping because people are shopping for houses right now. And um, I'm, I'm, I feel so much more confident uh, that someone's going to go out, identify a house and go under contract than that person that came to me and they barely had enough money for the down payment, and the closing costs. And I'm like, oh boy, um, you're just, you're, you're setting up for heartbreak almost because you're like, yeah. you're, it's, it's going to be really hard. Um, yeah. And that's where having a conversation about someone to someone saying like, you're going to have to go find another 10 or $15,000 on top of the money that you already spent years, you know, saving up to buy this house. Cause you, you got the down payment, you got the closing costs. And then the lender's telling you, you're probably going to need another 10 or 15 to buy the house. Um, that's hard. You know, that's a hard market to be a part of. I, I'm ready and I'm, I'm so excited for a balanced market where, Someone wants to sell their house. Someone gets to buy the house. Houses aren't sitting on the, the the market longer than they need to. But you know, our perception of what thing what, what's normal and what's um, secure or what's um, I, I guess we'll call it our new normal. You know, houses aren't going to sell in two days, and maybe that's okay. You know, it's people that list their house. They you almost have to plan accordingly. Understand houses are still selling in two days, but the fact that it might not sell in two days is also an okay thing. Because now you you need to find someone that wants to buy your house and they're willing to pay that. And there's still an abundance of buyers. I have a, a pre-approval pipeline of people that want to buy houses and mm -hmm. maybe their taste isn't that house. So it's just identifying and, you know, we have the realtors, the matchmakers um, working harder to, to identify and, and make those matches. And I think that that's, that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. When I first started in this business and we used to list properties, I remember we always listed them for 12 months. We're like, this, this might not be a full 12-month process, but our listing contracts were always 12 months yeah. long. It's going to be a process. We're going to put it up. Like, you're going to be chilling for a few months, and you never thought anything of that. That was super totally normal. If a house sat for three to six months, that was absolutely a normal marketing time. It, it takes a higher-level professional. Um, and I think that that's okay too. Like yeah. on my end, it's, it's being able to talk about appreciation and talk about what's going on with the market, talk about projections. Where do I think rates are going? Why do I think that? Having those higher level conversations to digest the market. I'm, again, I'm not an economist. If an economist got on and listened to this podcast, he might be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, but I have a, a very, I'd say a higher level understanding that most people in our profession. And for that, people are thankful. Like they're, I'm giving advice because I, I have a higher level understanding um, of what I what I think moves um, the market, but I also have stats to back up everything that we're talking about. And I'm not just here. I'm not I I'm not just taking an order and fulfilling the order. I, I have an interest in the the best interest in my client, and I want I I'm, I love having the conversation. Someone that bought five or six years ago that had no idea that six years forward, we're going to be having a conversation about how much money they made in their house. Um, and they get to see the, you know, the fruit. Um, and that that's cool. 
And I think that that's really important. What you said is that um, you use the data and the statistics. I use the data and the statistics. Yeah. And I think it's really, really important um, buyers, sellers, realtors, everybody out there, like, lean on the data and the statistics, not just what you heard. Like, all the time I get in conversations and I'm like, who told you that? Like, <laughs> who told you that? Yeah. Because that is actually not, not the true. case. Let me pull you some data. Like, I've actually pulled data and screenshotted it and circled it and sent it to people. Like, this is not happening. Here is why. Here is why. Here is why. And when you give the data, that's that's the end of the conversation. So that's why I was really excited to get you on. And that kind of leads me into the next thing, which is go ahead and debunk some of the stuff that is on social media. Because like I I have to stay out of the the realtor groups on on Facebook because again, I'm like, who told you that? Like this is just trash and garbage yeah. and not for real. But we're in an era where the level to get into our profession is so low. Like the the the, the bar is low. Yeah. You know, anybody can do it. It's it's not great. And I wish I we were having this conversation last week. I wish that that bar was higher. So you had a higher level professional that required more effort. Um, but it's not hard to pick up your phone these days and shoot a video. Right. With zero. You, you did no planning. You you didn't spend any time researching anything and just say whatever you want and put it out there. And we we just talked about like people don't understand what's going on. You know, yeah. they hear these numbers and GDP and inflation and things on the news. They don't know what that is. So the fact that somebody who's a realtor is on TikTok telling them and explaining inflation, but they don't know themselves. Right. You know, there's so much bad stuff. There's, I get texts from friends. I got a text this weekend on Saturday morning at around 10 o'clock. Um, and the TikTok was the, the banks gave out loans at 3% and now rates are at 8%. So the banks are coming after those loans and they're going to make people give that, uh, they're going to default on their loan because they're losing money. And that they're, and I was like, but it was a video with a guy and he had a suit on and he was <laughs> telling this. And I was like, they, they have a loan. Like it's, right. it's secured. It's a secured loan. It's not like some guy was out there with, you know, he's going to come break kneecaps because he wants his money back. It, we're, we're talking about banks. Right. So right. Bank of America is not going to knock on your door and be like, yeah, we don't want you to have 3% yeah. anymore. We're just going to take your house. I, I, I said it earlier, but like our profession is in, in, in a lot of people's minds just above used car salesmen. And there is enough people. And we talked about how people, things cost more people are pinched for to make money and, and that's going to put them in position to make a sale, whether it's your best interest or not your best interest. So working with people who don't need your one sale to keep the lights on in their house, like understand like the people that you work with are is, is just getting more and more important. They, the abundance of, of sales isn't there anymore. And there's people that got into this industry and they're struggling. And mm -hmm. I, I know that the most of the agents, 90% of the agents I work with are referral-based agents that it's not just one sale because they look at the, the stream of referrals that they're going to create from making sure that they put you in a good situation is super important. And that's yeah. why I do business with them. And that's, I wouldn't do business with someone who is ever going to do something that would be not in someone's best interest just for one sale. Yeah. And we'll see. I, I Again, I think that, you know, knowing that something's wrong with something and, and selling it anyways, there's people out there that would 100% do it every single time and not think twice about it because they're going to get a check at the end of it. Um, and that stinks, but yeah. it's the world we live in. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, I sent out a lot of emails for recruiting, and I might have even told you about this, but there was a woman that responded to one of my recruiting emails, um, and it was for Stars Academy, and it was like, you know, Rachel closed 30 deals her first year, and you can too. And she responded, and she's like, you absolutely cannot guarantee that realtors are going to close 30 deals in one year. There are agents that are have been in the business for 30 to 50 years, and they're not closing 30 deals this year. Nobody's going to be closing 30 deals. There's 500,000 agents that put their license in holding. And I read it. And a lot of times I just delete like responses like this, but I actually responded and I was like, you know, thank you for your email. I appreciate the data you shared with me. But what we do know is that what is true for one agent isn't necessarily true for another agent. So can I guarantee that every single agent 
we'll close 30 deals in a year. No. However, are agents still closing 30 plus deals in a year? Absolutely. Rachel Blue, again this year, is closing over 30 deals. I've closed over 30 deals myself. And I do many other jobs than just dealing with clients. So um, can I send out an email that says, I can train you to do exactly what I do and close over 30 deals in a year? Absolutely. Because that's what I'm doing. So just because you have a statistic that says 500,000 agents have put their license into holding doesn't mean that there is another 500,000 agents that are closing over 30 deals a year because we are. So like Greg is saying, when you go out to choose your realtor people that are listening to this that aren't realtors, (laughs) when you're a client and you go out to choose your realtor, you go out to to choose your loan officer make sure that they're having a buyer's consultation with you and make sure to listen to what they're saying. Because like Greg's saying, we share the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we help you to see the process you're going to go down. And we don't sugarcoat it for you. We'll let you know if, if you need 50 grand for an appraisal guarantee or if you don't. Like right now, another thing that I thought of while you were talking about how is if you need to sell a house and buy a house, so if you're writing a contingent offer, which most people at this point in in this, where we're at, most people that are buying a home probably has a home to sell because of where interest rates are and they're going to be moving, right? Those people can get offers accepted right now because when we had to have appraisal guarantees, nobody wanted to accept a contingent offer, meaning you still have to sell your old house. Right now, they're open to that. So that's another person. If you need to sell a house, right now is a really good time for you to buy a house and sell your old house because people are open to that. Um, But make sure you have agents and loan officers like Greg that are able to have those conversations with you and explain to you the different incentives and what isn't actually true out there and shares actual data with you. When I do a buyer's consultation, it's a good like hour and a half, sometimes two hour conversation because I'm like some of this like you may not need to know, you may not care about, but I like to tell you about the whole market as a whole. Then we come down to like your city, then we come down to like your neighborhood, and then we come down to the house I'm going to sell you. And if you're watching a TikTok that was done in, you know, Missouri, Different. Probably not probably not like the Metro Detroit area that yeah. we're in right now. And I I say it all the time, like I do loans in Michigan. I'm I'm hyper local. Um, I talk to eight, uh, you know, other people in my business that are like, oh, we're expanding to this state and that state. And I'm like, I, I do business here. Um, I understand what's going on here. I understand how taxes work here. I, I'm if you get a, a loan officer or a realtor from out of state, well, obviously realtor is probably gonna be tough to do out of state, but the, the loan officers out of state, they have no idea how Michigan taxes work. They don't have any idea what's going to be competitive and not competitive. Do we need an appraisal guarantee? Um, all of that stuff, which I usually defer to the realtor that's helping because it's really your area of expertise. Um, but those are the little things. And, and to be like you guys said, it's, it's just understanding like the consultation isn't even something that a lot of people do. Yeah, they it's so important sh- to show up at the house and I, I keep saying it, but you just take orders. They yeah. say, we want to offer this. And you say, I know how to fill out that form. And it, where's the expertise? Where's right. the, no, we're not, we're not, we're not order takers. We're, we're sitting down and having the conversation. I, I truly think with the assets that you have, that doing this might work better. Um, this is, you know, it's, it's for me identifying and kind of displaying for you guys, it's giving the, Hey, this is what it's going to take. And this is how we are going to negotiate for you, not just listen to what you want to do and, and yeah, it's, it. you're buying a house. You're not getting McDonald's. Correct. Yeah, I always say buying a house, not a hamburger. It's not your way right away. We're going to craft an offer. And I'm super glad we're going to wrap up soon. But I'm super glad you said about being hyper local because I did a deal with um, my client was relocating from Arizona to Michigan. And he was like, I'm super loyal to my people. I'm using this loan officer. He worked at a big bank. It rhymes with Mr. Hooper out of Cali. And he's buying this house. And in Royal Oak. So this loan officer is in California. He's from Arizona. So they're used to these markets where property values are like two, three, five, seven, twenty million dollars, right? Do you think that that loan officer cared at all about his $250,000 purchase in Royal Oak? I never spoke to that loan officer. I'm calling him. I'm leaving messages. I'm like, I need this pre-approval. I need this revised. I never could get this guy on the phone because he didn't care. Yeah. He has multi, he has $20 million California deal 
deals. And he's, he's, you know, dealt with this guy in Arizona on his multi-million dollar house. So that's the only reason he's even doing this loan, but he does not care about this Royal Oak deal. And every time I'd be like, you know, if I call Greg and I'm like, Hey, can we close this deal in 20 days? He's like, I'll make it happen. This guy, when I submitted the offer, I, I wrote it up for like a 25 day close. And he was like, we can't do that. I'm like, I already got the deal accepted, dude. Like you <laughs> wouldn't answer out. your phone. I tried to call you. I tried to discuss a strategy. I tried to get the pre-approval revised. You did not answer your phone. I got him an offer accepted, and you're going to have to figure it out. And he was freaking out. He was losing his mind. He's like, our process, our protocols. I said, listen. I told him, I said, I have a loan officer in Michigan. His name's Greg. He can close deals in 15 days. So don't tell me it can't be done because I know it can be done. You may not feel it's, like doing it. it you may not want to do it, but it can be done. Yeah. That, it stinks that that guy was like, I have such loyalty to this person. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use him and I'm not going to take the recommendation at the other person that I trust in this process. And then that person's like, I'm not going to bend over backwards for someone that has that. Like that's That's the hard part for me. It's like, yeah, we're a team, right? And I, I said it earlier, who you work with matters. We get, I get offers accepted. I have so many stories where we get offers accepted because the other bank is just not trusted or the other person or other people are not trusted that it's going to close. So it's in the best interest. And it, I'm not saying that shady stuff's going on, but it's in the best interest of that selling agent to advise their client. We should take this offer because it's going to close. It's going to close fast. We're going to have communication. You're not going to have to worry about, are you going to get paid for this house? Whereas with that bank or with that person or those people, we're just not getting the same vibes. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much, uh, I, I look forward to what the next two, three years um, holds. And I think that the people that are committed to buying are going to buy. I think that the first time home buyers should get off the, the, the couch now and like make, make action, like start having these conversations. Um, people don't get pre-approved. People don't come talk to me because they think, oh, we got to pull credit. We're going to have to get a bunch of documents. We're going to have to do everything fast. We start everybody with a soft credit pull, no impact to your credit. We don't need to get documents, but we can't get you pre-approved, but we can have a full consultation, talk about numbers, talk about your process, your plan. What does this look like for you? And more or less, mo most often we have that conversation and someone that's like, I'm going to buy 10, 11, 12 months from now ends up buying two, three months because they see this is, I can do this and yeah. it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be okay. So if, if they end up buying 12 months from now, that's great too. I'll stay in touch. Well, I'm not going to bug you. I'm not going to pester you, but um, I think the best time, if, if it's something of interest, is to, to talk about it right now. I love that. And speaking of that, how do our listeners find you? What's the best way to get a hold of you, Greg, so they can get somebody that they can trust? So I, I usually would say, you know, Kylie and, and Trish are, are good first steps to have the conversation and then they'll put you in my lap. Um, but I'm, I'm very active on Facebook and Instagram. So those are two socials that you could get with me or I'm I give out my cell phone number to everybody. So I'm not using or hiding behind a bank number or anything like that. I'm not nine to five. Um, no, you're not. <laughs> I talked to you on Sundays. Remember that one time I called you and you answered the phone and you're like, I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry to bother you. I'm trying to push this through. And you're like, yeah, I'm sitting by the pool right now, but I'm going to go back to my room in about, you know, yeah. an hour and a half. So. I was on vacation. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And I felt terrible. I'm like, no, I'll talk to you on Tuesday. <laughs> oh, listen, I mean. But you did. You called me back in an hour and a half. And you're like, this is what we can do. And that was a, awesome. I have an amazing team behind me that makes, I mean, they're, it's kind of like the behind the curtain. Um, yeah. They make things happen. I'm, I'm just the face that, that gets to go talk about how amazing they are. And I know what I'm doing. But. That's the, the beauty of having a, a, a great team um, yeah. is there's someone, there's coverage, there's somebody that if something does need high level, uh, you know, time and effort put into it and I'm on vacation, it can get done still. But, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy. I'm not going to hide behind phone and not respond. I, I would rather make sure that people are able to achieve what they're looking to do. And if I can't do it, then I can you can always talk on the phone. You can always send a text message. So yeah. teamwork makes the dream work. We'll yeah. drop Greg's info in the show notes as well. And as always, we thank you for choosing us. We know there's a lot of podcasts you can listen to, and we are very grateful you chose ours today. Make sure you turn in every Thursday for a new episode of the Elite Life Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share the show. There was a 
boatload of amazing information. Greg was spitting hot fire all day today. I have notes and notes and notes and notes. And I'm super excited to buy a house now. So thank you, Greg. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Elite Life Podcast with Trish and Kylie. Don't forget to share this episode with a friend so we can keep delivering you more fantastic insights on grit, grace, and growth. Stay connected with us on Instagram and Facebook, where we'll keep the ideas flowing to help you build a life you love and leave a legacy you can be proud of. Until next time.